Hey, it's Zach. The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. While the NBA playoffs have now sadly ended, the Major League Baseball playoffs are down to the Final Four. The Rays, Astros, Braves, and Dodgers. I guess the Rays are not the Devil Rays anymore, just the Rays. Check out Baseball Tonight with Buster Olney, one of the absolute legends of this business, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to... An unexpected Thursday afternoon podcast uh, because Daryl Morey, one of the longest tenured GMs in the league and a pioneer, hugely influential uh, in basketball, has stepped down as general manager of the Houston Rockets, throwing an already chaotic offseason into more chaos. And we have nobody on our staff and there may be nobody really on planet Earth outside the Rockets themselves who knows this franchise better than our Tim McMahon. How are you doing, sir? Fantastic. How you doing? R.I.P. Dork Elvis. That, yeah, my screen name is R.I.P. Dork Elvis, which is really, you know, Bill Simmons made that. I just like it's my temporary screen name. It's not my permanent screen name. So I'm just using it for this session. Um, uh, I would like to point Daryl Morey will live on. He's just moving on from the Rockets organization. Yeah. So I'll just ask a very broad brush question for you, Tim. What the hell is going on? What's happening? Why did this happen? What's happening? What's going to happen? What the hell is going on? Well, this was not Tillman Fertitta's decision. This was initiated by Daryl Morey, and, you know, they came to an agreement. Um, you know, there was obviously speculation around the league since the, the Freedom for Hong Kong tweet that Daryl Morey was going to be gone. Um, I, I, th- that situation, it, it did not push Tillman Fertitta to to make this decision because again, this was not Tillman pushing out Daryl Morey, but Daryl saying, "Hey, I want to step away," and them coming to an agreement. Um, I do think talking to some people with the Rockets that just the kind of the different sort of scrutiny that 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 came with that, and and the I don't know if guilt is the right word or pressure that that came with costing not just Tillman Fertitta dozens of millions of dollars, but the NBA as a whole, hundreds of millions of dollars. I think that weighed on Daryl. Obviously, this was literally and figuratively the longest year uh, of his career. But he just came back from the bubble. Um, you know, even after Fertitta publicly declared that his job was safe and that he was going to lead the head coaching search, and and decided that he wanted to step away. He wanted some time away. Um, he got paid some money to uh to step away thanks to the five-year extension that he signed in uh in in 2019 by the way that was kind of a parting gift from leslie alexander a little 2019 by the way just last year signed a five-year extension just fyi if people have forgotten what year it is it's 2020 2019 was last year right a little clause in the uh in the the sale of the team was that daryl morey could renegotiate his contract uh after the first season that Fertitta owned it. If you remember, Maury did a little flirting with the, the 76ers at the time. So he does get some money, uh, some pretty significant money to walk away. But again, this wasn't, it's not like this was Fertitta's plan all along. This is him uh, rolling with the punches. You know, Daryl Maury uh, deciding that he wanted not ne- even necessarily move on to greener pastures, but to take some time and and catch his breath, spend time with his kids and, you know, readjust to whatever life will be moving forward. And for the Rockets, you know, they promote Raphael Stone uh, one more notch up 
And I, 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 do, I think the Rockets will operate very similarly, similarly to how they did under Maury for the time being. Tell people about Raphael Stone because I think he's pretty anonymous within NBA circles. I can't really claim to know him well. You know, we say hi at games. Right. Yeah, I've chit-chatted here or there. I don't really know what he stands for as a basketball person. He's the Rockets' uh, general counsel or has been their general counsel, which is not, by the way, on Mike Zarin was the Celtics' general counsel for a long time. Right. What do we know about him and his basketball beliefs? Well, he uh, he went to Williams College and hoop there, so he's probably the second best Williams College hooper in the NBA right now, just slightly below uh, Duncan Robinson. Um, and then that Stanford Law guy, like you said, he's been the Rockets' general counsel since 2015. A lot of of that work is, you know, on the business side, but I think he's kind of steadily grown. Uh, as far as his influence on on and his input in basketball decision making, just before Gerson Rosas left to become the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, president of basketball operations, they promoted uh, Rafael to uh, what was his position before, I guess today, which was executive vice president of basketball operations. So he's essentially been the the number two guy. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of what he's learned as far as the basketball side uh, of running an NBA team, he's learned from Daryl Morey. Uh, I, I think Morey's influence will be felt in Houston uh, for a, a while because of that. But I think where maybe Morey was more of, a, of an ideas guy, Rafael is more of a communication guy. You know, he's, he's more of a, of a negotiator, of a talker, where Daryl was – uh, was the guy who could come up with, you know, all kinds of crazy ways to, you know, put a deal together. I think uh, Stone is more uh, of a of a guy who uh, can can do the communications necessarily necessary to get some deals done. But l- look, let's also be real honest here. Um, it's a he's got a tough job because it's not like the Rockets have a whole lot of roster flexibility right now. When you look at their salary. When you look at the lack of draft picks, uh, not only in this draft, but in drafts to come, and when you look at the lack of tradable assets, because they haven't had draft picks in so long, there's not young talent uh, on that roster that uh, you know that, that you can put in trades. Well, we can just go there then, because I, I do wonder the degree to which the outcome of the Westbrook trade mm-hmm. weighed on Daryl's decision today. I don't know. I haven't talked to Daryl Um but as you said, and uh, I was with uh, several members of the Rockets that night in Las Vegas for a little mm-hmm. while after they had after that trade had broken, and I literally just and Daryl was there, and I, I said, I, I have to understand this. Yeah. Make me try to understand this because I don't think there was a market nearly this wide for Russell Westbrook to give up two first round picks and two pick swaps. And I understand, you know, he's younger. He has been to some degree healthier than Chris Paul, or at least doesn't seem to have those sort of Un- wear and until tear. Until this season, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem to have those wear and tear injuries. Um, you know, the contract is a, is a year longer, which could cut either direction. I just didn't, yeah. I didn't see it and it hasn't worked. And, and, and Chris Paul had an all NBA level season this year and damn near almost knocked them out in the first round with Lugans Dort playing a key role. And now, as you said, they're out. I mean, I can't even keep track of how many draft picks and pick swaps they're out now. And they have these two stars um, that 
fit okay together, but the only reason they fit okay together is because Westbrook's jumper was so bad that they had to get rid of the other guy who can't shoot, and now they don't have any centers, and now they don't have a coach, and now how the hell are they going to play next year? Are they still all in on this style of play when both architects of it are gone? It's a crazy uh, – it's not crazy, but it is a strange situation. Well, one, before I kind of delve into all that, I I, I do want to say – in fairness, and because <laughs> I have to go to Houston a lot, I'm going to make sure I'm going to be fair here. I'm just going to point out that uh, Russell Westbrook from January 1st until the season was suspended was putting up like 32-8-8 eight and eight as efficiently as he'd ever played uh, in his career. Now, unfortunately, he got coronavirus. He wasn't able to work out you know, like an NBA player works out for three and a half, four weeks. You know, I, I can't uh, uh, help but think that the soft tissue injury that he suffered was directly related to that. Um, you know, the guy was a shell of himself during the playoffs. And so, hey, that's the way they are. You're judged by the results. I just want to kind of make sure. No, it's, all, all, it's all fair. Yeah, I just want to make sure we have kind of, in fairness, you know, they if, if the rust that they had for two and a half months was the rust that they had in the playoffs, we might be talking about a whole different thing. But – there's results, there's reality, and, and that's not what happened. So I'm going to say this. that tra- And this is no secret. That trade was made because Tillman Fertitta wanted it made. He thought Chris Paul's contract was the worst that he'd ever seen in business or sports. And because James Harden wanted it wow. made. Uh, you know, James Harden, obviously there was a personality clash. This stuff has all been well-documented, well-reported. And I think, uh, I think that... I, st- I still believe, and I wrote this you know, last summer before things went down, I still believe that if necessary, uh, they could have managed that situation. I know a lot of people throughout the organization believe that, but once Russ became available, you know, they saw an opportunity that Harden and Fertitta wanted to pounce on, uh, and, and they pounced on that. Um, Daryl Morey was the biggest Chris Paul backer in that organization. Nobody, Daryl or anybody else, has ever told me that he made that trade uh, with objections, that he made that trade despite not fully believing in it. But I just can't help but think that it was a deal where basically his two bosses, Fertitta and Harden, said, hey, we want this deal made, get it done. And he did what he had to do to get it done. And honestly, when that trade was made, it kind of felt like well, this is either going to work out or I'm not going to be around to, to suffer the consequences. And, you know, we'll see if it worked out. Daryl won't be around to suffer the consequences. This is what everyone thought Pat Riley would do to the Heat is just like throw all the picks out the window and then retire to Malibu. And this is like um, – so, I mean, look, the Harden-Chris Paul thing, I mean – they came within a whisker of winning the NBA. Well, you can't say winning the NBA championship, but certainly making the finals where they would have been an overwhelming favorite had right. Chris Paul not been injured. Um, and and that that partnership worked, and it made sense. And on paper, it made sense. And yet, the second year of it, they lose again to the Warriors around earlier with Durant hurt in games five and six. And you just, I, I'm endlessly fascinated by Harden and I'm endlessly fascinated by the Harden-Mori relationship because I just don't think it's possible to separate one from the other anymore. I think they've become such equal partners in who the Rockets have on their team and how they play and really have been that way since the moment they acquired Harden. Um, 
but I, it's just, it's just interesting. Like you, a personality clash. And I, I just, I just, I'm, there's just gotta be a shelf life to this, to this style of play. Like it, it, it's, it's hard to just sit around and watch James Harden do his thing a hundred times a game. And the math says that's the smartest way to play. And because this is Daryl Morey's team and James Harden's team, they play the way the math says. And I just think they're just like everything was hunky dory and they almost won the championship and then everything fell apart and they had to reinvent themselves again. And soon they'll have to reinvent themselves again. And by the way, they had Dwight Howard and they tried to get Carmelo Anthony and Jimmy Butler and blah, blah, blah. It just seems to be a shelf life to, to they just need a new, a new pivot, a new identity, a new reinvention every two years and I wonder how much of that is just the way Harden wants to play and what that engenders among his teammates. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and look, you know, it's it's he is you know, for some guys, you know, Ben Mclemore, for example, Harden can resuscitate a career because you know, you put a guy who you put him in a very defined role doing things that he's good at, very some really honestly run the floor and catch and shoot uh, three pointers that are created for him. And, you know, it can resuscitate a career. But I see how it can be so challenging for Chris Paul, despite the fact that it did. I mean, look, they were the best team in the regular season. You know, woulda, coulda, shoulda with the Warriors. You know, it's hard for me to say that was a failure. Well, no, but that, let's be clear because Har- Daryl has a lot of enemies and critics, and he's yeah. going to get clowned today. And he's going to get clowned because they never won, and their style of play. People hate the way they play, and I and I get it. I don't hate it, but I get why people do. And they say you can't win a title that way, and they have not won a title that way, and they have melted down spectacularly, like the freaking Hindenburg, many times playing that way. Um, but they almost won that year, and that year they were good enough. And maybe it's not good enough to be that good just one year, but that year they they really they, – and it actually drove me crazy at the time. All of that series, a lot of the discussion was how the Warriors were failing and why they were ISOing so much and how they were out of rhythm and how it was some sort of intrinsic failure to the Warriors and not enough to me about how that Houston team was awesome. And they nudged because of the way they switched everything and all that – they coaxed teams to playing that way. That was their plan. And I, I didn't think they got enough credit for pushing the Warriors as far as they did. And by the way, that, those were two years where no other team won more than a game against the Warriors in a playoff series. Most of the league just flat out gave up. But and here, Rockets, here's at, And the Rockets went for it, and they, what, they won three. Yeah, but here's where you know the, the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and the hamstring away and all that stuff, really the air went out of that balloon. When the next year, uh, Kevin Durant goes down, the Warriors were able to finish off that game and then come to Houston for game six and close them out. And embarrass them, by the way. Remember how they were dancing and dancing sneering and, and, and Draymond was t- – it was – it was yeah. that game – I mean, you were probably at that game. I wasn't. Yeah. That game had the feel of like they took their spirit a little bit. Yeah, Steph scores 23 in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, so – I get it. I just think to to say the Daryl Morey era in Houston was a failure. No, like, the, wow. They what they made the playoffs eight years in a row. Yeah, um, sixty plus percent winning percentage, and you know, I mean, it, they fit. They absolutely fell short of their sole goal. I mean, you know, they're not going to throw. You know, pandemic or not, there will be no parades in Houston. 
Um, they they didn't win championship, but they were for a long time, you know, one of the top three or four competitive teams in the league. And really, they were the Warriors' only challenge in the Western Conference during the Warriors' dynasty. And, and obviously, the Raptors fans will say, well, hold on, we, we won during the Warriors' dynasty. And you did. They did. The Raptors were a great team. I, that's all- why I specified Western Conference. Well, but they also won when Kevin Durant was injured and then the Clay Thompson got injured. I mean, that's not an asterisk. There are no asterisks on championships. That's just what happened. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Before we get into the Maury legacy talk, let's just let's just you tweeted uh, about their coaching search today, and you mentioned John Lucas, Jeff Van Gundy, and Stephen Silas, who is a name I really like, by the way. Not that I don't like the other two names, but Stephen Silas, for some reason, his name doesn't get mentioned much, and I, I'm glad he's picking up momentum here because I think he's a good coach. What is what do you what's the state of this? How close are they to a decision, and what what will their choice signal to you either way? Well, obviously, I mean. James Harden will have heavy influence on who their next head coach is, which, you know what, pick a superstar in a coaching search, that's going to be the case. Um, and Jeff Van Gundy has kind of widely been considered the front runner, bef- you know, even before the job was open, just because people figured is is likely going to be it for Dan Tony. Um, so I really think that comes down to Harden and to a lesser extent Westbrook uh, their enthusiasm or lack thereof on playing for Jeff Van Gundy. And I, and I, I can't tell you, you know, I, I don't know what that's going to be. Um, I do know that both of those guys and several other players on the Rockets roster have great relationships with John Lucas, which I think is why he's been able to uh, emerge as a, as a strong candidate. You know, he's been in a, uh, in a player development role with the Rockets, uh, for several years now, um, obviously he has head coaching experience. It, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think that his head coaching record would be the first thing on his resume. But uh, again, the fact that he has set strong relationships with not just the stars, I would say with especially the stars as well as the other guys on the roster, uh, help make his case. And then Stephen Silas is 
uh, you know, a little bit of interim coaching experience, has been on Rick Carlisle's staff the last few years, is a really sharp uh, offensive mind in particular. Um, you know, has, has, I mean, really impressed the Rockets, the, you know, the last go round of their coaching search in those interviews has impressed them again uh, in these interviews. And I think in some ways he might kind of be the in-between where they feel like he's a guy who could build those relationships and, and also a guy who could be great from a strategy standpoint. We, do we expect him to play the same all in on micro ball or whatever next year? So, you know, they, they obviously went all in on micro ball, but they thought at the time that they could kind of find a bargain uh, big man, kind of if Clint Capella is a full-service Marriott, they thought they could find a courtyard by Marriott type of big man to at least be uh, in the rotation. And, you know, for example... They, they, <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny, but I like that. I miss I think it's because I miss hotels. Sports writers, said any hotel, I would have gotten excited. Sports writers will appreciate that. You can still get your Marriott points, you're just not paying nearly as much. Um no concierge lounge though. But so, you know, just a, a name, for example, they were, they, they had discussions before the trade deadline and I guess were optimistic. They thought they could get a deal done to bring in Nerlens Noel, um, who will be on the market this year. And certainly is, you know, a, a guy who I think would fit into a limited rockets budget. J- you know, again, I'm not saying they're going to sign Nerlens Noel. I'm saying hypothetical, you know, informed, speculation that I know that he's the kind of guy that they're interested in. And, you know, I don't know that he would start or come off the bench. You know, I I really don't know, but that would give them kind of a capella light, you know, a guy who is, is a, is a lob threat, a guy who has some switch ability. It's, you know, rim protection ability. So I think they would definitely like to at least have that tool in their toolbox. You know, they don't want to have to be, all the time microball, but I think they'll still be primarily a microball team. It sounds weird to say, but, and I wrote this a couple months ago, I, the time where I felt they missed the center on offense, obviously on defense, the rebounding and all the rim protection, and, and they collapsed in a heap of nothingness against the Lakers. But I, I felt that like when Harden was on the bench is when they actually missed the screen and dive center a little bit more. And the reason I say that is because I get the idea of just open the floor for Russell Westbrook isolations. Um, but if he's 5% limited athletically compared to what right. he used to be, and guys are just going to wait for him in the paint, those are a little bit harder. And like he's had precious little chances in his NBA career to run a proper spread pick and roll. Like when he was in Oklahoma City and they put Steven Adams out there with three dudes who could actually shoot, they were unstoppable. And like that's the kind of thing I would like to see them do a little bit when Harden is on the bench. The other guy who's interesting, Tim, about and, and so crucial to their identity, and I can tell you that a lot of teams around the league are kind of looking, are, are watching, is that P.J. Tucker's in the last year of his contract. He's eligible for an extension. It's complicated because of the over 38 rule and stuff like that, but he's eligible for an extension. There are people around the league who are watching because if they don't want to give him an extension, there's teams who are sitting there looking saying, Boy, if he grows unhappy and he wants out of there, he would help us a lot. What have you heard about his future there? Well, look, and PJ has made no secret of the fact that he not only wants an extension, but believes that he has earned an extension. And it's obviously very difficult to uh, to make a case against that. 
I mean, given what he's meant to that team, given uh, you know his his production, uh, the you know the the physical toll that uh, that that he's endured. They can't play this way without him. You need yeah. someone who's going to box somebody out at the very least. And he doesn't miss games. I mean, the dude pinched his nerve, I believe, in January in his neck. Dealt with it all year long. Missed the rest of that game and then started every game the rest of the year. You know, he, I mean, the, he's absolutely remarkable, perfect role player for them. Um, you know, having said all that, boy, if you're, I mean, let's just be honest. They're not, this is not going to be their marketing slogan. But if you're the Rockets front office, aren't you really operating on a year to year basis? Well, I mean, it doesn't help that Eric Gordon's extension looks like a disaster. Um, you know, and, and it like the West is, you know, the Warriors like poof are back into existence next year. And none of these other teams around Houston are, are going away. Right. And, and it's just, it's and then you've be- got, you've got the Pelicans on the rise. You've got the Grizzlies on the rise, you know, maybe even the sun. I mean, we can, the Western conference is just absolutely loaded. And, and I agree with you. I just, they're just, they're just boxed in. I just don't even know. I don't even know what they could really do. I mean, after the, after they hire a head coach, what, in your opinion, is the biggest question about the Rockets if you're taking a like a two to three year look? What's well, I think it's, it, I think it's unquestionably do they have a come to Jesus moment where it's time to explore what they can get for James, or and, or does James come to them and say, "Hey, it's time." Either to, one, you know what either I'm one. I mean, look, I write that column every year called the craziest preseason. Um, 30 crazy preseason predictions in this season's one, which is now like a year and a half ago, I wrote that there will be Russell Westbrook and James Harden trade buzz by what was supposed to be this coming deadline because mm-hmm. I just think they had championship or bust expectations. They have an owner who has been, let's say, a little bit volatile. Um, and I just didn't think they were going to meet those expectations at the beginning of the season. And it just makes it just makes sense that James Harden would be it, 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 I didn't. I had no reporting. It wasn't reported. It just. It just like you could make the. You could connect the dots there, and they're not even close to that yet. I mean, James Harden is a top whatever NBA player, yeah, and and, and they're know. right now the Rockets organizational mentality is look. James Harden is they say the best player in the league. I think we can all agree a top three player, and they are going to chase a championship as long as he's at that level and on board. But again, I, th- I think it's a year to year thing of uh, at, at some point and, and James has given no even inkling that this is his thinking, but at some point Harden could come to the decision that it's time for him to link up with the superstar on their turf. You know, he's already done get CP. Th- well, first Dwight Howard, then CP three and then Russ and so I, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, you know, you look at the contracts, it's a, it's a two to three year window, but it might be tighter than that. Well, that's, it's interesting. You mentioned all the names because I, I think if there's a critic, the, the, the preeminent criticism of Daryl Morey and the analytics approach and the, the stars over everything approach is that has he shortchanged what we would describe as culture or chemistry in the pursuit of star talent. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that criticism is completely groundless. It, I also am not sure how, if you believe that criticism is valid, how much of it you can put on Daryl and how much of it you can put on Harden. As I've said, they are so entangled as to be almost one person. 
at this point. But the legacy to me of Daryl is um, the analytics and the rise of the three. Like we all know that. Like Daryl was right about that. Everybody imitated him. That's the sincerest form of uh, of flattery. Um, uh, is the Harden trade, and then immediately after the Harden trade, he was in win now mode the whole time. Just every, every, they don't even have any first round picks left on the roster. Like they had Capella was the last one. They traded everything and everybody to try to win now. And I think that's admirable. I think that's what you do when you have a superstar in his prime. Uh, I, I, I do think they just pivoted from identity to identity to co-star to co-star to co-star so fast. And like, again, he chased everybody. And I do think it, it just the churning, the constant churning it's hard. It's just hard and it's taxing. And I, and I don't think that criticism is totally groundless, but I just don't know how much of that is, is Daryl's stars above all else mindset or, and just the difficulty of finding a partnership that can last with James Harden for whatever reason, they just seem to have expiration dates. Yeah. And look, there's so many what ifs and let's be honest, the Dwight thing I think it's hard to blame Maury or Harden. I think there's a reason that Dwight Howard, you know, played for 26 teams in the league before finally landing with the Lakers on a non-guaranteed contract and getting his head screwed on straight. Um, it would be fascinating to see if uh, if Dwight Howard had the mentality he finally got to this season during his time in Houston because you know one reason Clint Capella was so successful in Houston is he saw all the things that Dwight Howard refused to do and said, hmm, I'm going to do those. <laughs> and then suddenly he's a pretty good compliment. But Dwight, Dwight had moments in Houston too. That 2015 playoff run to the conference finals was – Dwight was pretty damn good for a lot of that playoff run. Yeah. Well, and look, honestly, the, the, the great downfall of, of Dwight Howard in Houston is he wanted the ball – he wanted the offense run through him in the post. And Harden's like, no, I'm the best pick and roll player in the league. Set a screen, roll hard to the rim, and I'll throw you like eight lobs a game. So whatever. And then, you know, the, the CP3 thing, there should be regret from Harden on that one. Absolutely. I mean, look, CP3, and I, I'll be honest, I thought he was drastically declining. Well, you know. I hey, I'm gonna go eat some Beyond Burgers all uh, all off season, and I might come back a hell of a lot better next season too. We'll see. But he sure, you know, he he got in better shape. He stayed healthy, which he had problems doing, uh, and and he was phenomenal this year. But again, that was by far the most successful partner uh, partnership that they had with Harden, and you know, personality clash, philosophical clash, whatever it was. You know, they just decided that uh, that they wanted it to end. Chris Paul didn't want to leave Houston. I still don't believe Daryl Morey wanted to leave Houston. Mike D'Antoni did not want Chris Paul gone, but Fertitta and uh, Fertitta and Harden decided that was the best route for the Rockets. And again, I think I think that is the one they will regret. And I don't put that one on Daryl Morey. Um. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see where they go because it's been an absolutely wild couple of years for the Rockets, and and they haven't gotten to where they they thought they could go. And I and I agree with you. Had Russ been healthy, I think there would have been a chance for them to make a run in the playoffs. I liked their matchup against the Lakers. I was totally wrong about that. I, I thought they had a chance to make that a competitive series, and they did. They did the opposite. Um, so it's not out of the realm to me that they come back and have a stronger year than I expect next season, or than is expected currently by the consensus now. 
passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Let's switch gears for just a few minutes before I let you go. Uh, uh, they did look at Ty Lu to be mm-hmm. their head coach. Uh, Ty Lu, according to Woj, has just signed a five-year deal to be the Clippers head coach. Any thoughts on what the Rockets saw in Ty Lu and what yeah, obviously he was on Doc Rivers' bench as the number two guy, but so the Clippers know him. But how that fits out there? Yeah, you know, I, I just thought that uh, you know Ty Lue was a proven championship coach who had uh, you know instant respect from uh, Harden and Westbrook, and I think that you know if 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 James Harden had his choice of guys, it would have been Ty Lue. At the same time. Nobody in the world, whether it's in Houston or anywhere else, is surprised that he got the Clippers job. Like that was kind of always expected. That was assumed. And so, you know, the, the Rockets knew it was going to be, uh, you know, an, an, an they would have to pull off an upset to, to have been able to hire Ty Lue. And again, you know, I just think that uh, the, the Van Gundy, whether it's Van Gundy or not, is really probably going to come down to how he meshes during whatever conversations he has with especially James Harden. You know, I'm going to say Harden Westbrook, but it's Harden's franchise. We all understand that. And so, you know, I, I don't I don't have a feel for how that's going to go. If it goes well, I still think Jeff Van Gundy is going to be the guy. Uh, if not, you know, Silas and uh, and Stephen Silas and John Lucas are the other two uh, candidates there right now. I, I don't necessarily think it's out of the complete realm of possibility that uh, you know that 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 the search would continue. But I, th- you know, it it certainly seems like it'll come down to those three guys. I thought Kenny Atkinson would be a name that got in there, but maybe he's just not the right profile. I mean, he was worked in Houston before, but he, and he's worked under D'Antoni. I, I thought that would be a name that would come up, but it just hasn't. Well, they talk. They 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 talk to him. I think the thing there is Atkinson really is a look. Maybe two or three years from now, Atkinson will be a great fit in Houston. As a, you know, when that's a, a franchise, and you know, in a lot of ways that could be similar to what the Nets just went through, where you don't have picks. You know, you got to kind of 
find and develop players the hard way, um, build a culture. Um, but I don't know that Kenny Atkinson is the guy who you hire to try to uh, take a team that has strong veteran personalities in a very defined window that's either extremely short or, or pretty short and uh, and say, hey, when now? They're trying to figure out the locks on that window. They're, they're struggling with the lie. It's like, like how, which way do I flip it? How do I lift this? this is a heavy window. Um, I think Ty Lue's a really good tactical coach. I think he's an underrated tactical coach. And, and I agree with you. People just like, you know, I had somebody ask me, just spitballing, you know, why are, why do we keep seeing the same coaches get hired over and over again? Why don't more teams take a chance on a young, unproven coach? And, you know, like there's a reason that Taylor Jenkins got the Grizzlies job and not the Clippers job. Like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George want to win. And winning is really hard. Winning in May and June or what normally is May and June, like the pressure, the stakes, like they just – stars just very justifiably feel most comfortable with someone who has been through those situations – before and Ty Lu has and Ty Lu won a championship and he's really good at having difficult conversations with superstar players that a lot of people are scared of. Coaches are scared to tell them what they need to hear. Ty is not. And I I do I do think both I I think I'm very confident obviously Kawhi is going to be there but you know despite the the Paul George flame out a little bit in the playoffs. I think PG's going I don't think they're trading Paul George. I think both those guys are going to be there and I think actually I want to get on there early. I'm predicting a Paul George vengeance tour next season. I think Paul George is going to is going to have I mean this guy was a top 5 MVP finisher last season. I think he's going to I think he's going to come back really really strong next year and have a very very good season. He needs to come back humbled. I mean Paul George his arrogance got the best of him and like the way he honestly Paul George just kept punching. He's a top, I don't know what do you want to say, 10, 12 player in the league, but he kept punching up the guys. You know, he took a little jab at Harden. He like came off the top rope at Damian Lillard. It's like, dude, of all guys. Yeah, then Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum came in with like oh, steel man. chairs, the baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire and like lit on fire. And just that was, that Twitter performance was an absolute all timer. No doubt. No, probably, probably the best since the whole uh, DeAndre held hostage in Houston, uh, free agency shenanigans. Um, <laughs> Dallas, hell, hell, hell else is in Dallas. Um, yeah. But, uh, uh, but, but, uh, so, uh, you know, I just think Paul George acted like he was some kind like he acted like he was the guy with two finals MVPs trophies when, you know, playoff P had some nice runs in the Eastern conference, but uh, you know, by superstar standards hadn't accomplished anything. Uh, in the postseason, I, I'll say the one big question I have about Ty Lu, and, and I respect his resume, you know, his his ability to build relationships with players, uh, the X's and O's, all that. But if culture was a problem with Doc Rivers, who, by the way, checks all those boxes as well, I just wonder how sliding Ty Lu over one seat solves those issues. Well, um, you know, I think. Losing may help solve some of those issues, right? I mean, you got it. You get you get knocked in the face a little bit. Everyone's got to realize that, you know, certain things have to change for the team to win at the highest level. They obviously have a very, you know, all the reporting suggests that Matres Harrell's playing time was a big sore spot that that contributed to their decision with Doc, and he's a free agent. And I think the assumption all season was he was going to leave, and then a plague hit, and <laughs> the salary cap isn't 
quite what we thought it was going to be, uh, although probably it'll be close. Um, also, you know, the the Hawks, who I thought was one place that would have been a really good fit for him, went and got a, a starting center. I could I could see Harold going back there on a one plus one on a short yeah. term. Let let me punt. Like I don't I don't necessarily think that bridge has burned. Um, and and you know look, time has passed, right? I mean I don't know if some of the holdover Clippers were enamored with the the frisky team that they had before the stars came, but that team's over. That team's two years into rear view, and that everyone clowned them. They were awful. I I still cannot even believe what I witnessed in those last three games. It was something to me that I don't really have a comparison for, but I don't, I, I think they should be right back in the mix next year. And I I'm, I'm predicting a Paul George vengeance tour. All right. You are on the record. Uh, Tim McMahon, any closing thoughts on the Rockets? I mean, there's just been so much swirling around them for so long. And this is obviously a big day. Daryl Moore is a, a, a like him or not like him. He's a monumental figure in modern NBA history. And, and it's, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah, and I still think that you know the Rockets will be – they'll feel disrespected going into next year. I can promise you that. Um, I still think the Rockets will be a factor in the Western Conference uh, at least next season. But again, I think it's to the point now where it's a year-to-year thing, and I think that their timetable will primarily be determined by what James Harden wants. And by that, I mean by whether James Harden wants to stick it out in Houston or whether he feels like at some point, you know, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, that it's time for him to see greener pastures. Tim McMahon, you do amazing work for us. Keep holding it down and uh, stay safe. Have fun with the family. Always a pleasure, man. <laughs>